Today's podcast, Dominic Foxworth on Sean Watson in Cleveland, the Oscars, and his own writing career. Talks some football with uh, Foxworth, great football stories. And Peter Rosenberg has got a new podcast coming out for The Ringer. A little wrestling stuff, a little Kanye as well. We have an NBA Open and Life Advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Honda. Honda is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. And the Prologue EV is their latest innovation in that journey. The Prologue is all the great things you expect from Honda in an EV. As an SUV, the Prologue comes with class-leading passenger space, with intuitive features and clean, thoughtful design. The Prologue is more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. I want to talk east versus west in the NBA, kind of where we're at, where we've been and what the general conversations have been. Because I think if you ask this, if you're just hanging out with your buddies right now and you said, hey, you know, the East is probably better than the West, I think you get a lot of people saying, you know what? I think you're right. Now, historically, the West has been so much better than the East. I mean, it's, it's been a joke over the years. I mean, I was going through it this morning. Um, you know, seven years ago, 63% of the games were won by West in head-to-head matchup. Uh, yeah, we've had numbers where it's in the 60s. I think the only number that I found recently where the East actually won more than 50% of the games was 2008-2009. So this year it felt like a pivot because the top was a little deeper. Miami, and let's just say this, let's have an open mind real quick, right? If we have an open mind about all the possibilities coming out of both conferences to win an NBA championship, Miami, we'll get to them, don't worry. Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, um, and then I think it's Brooklyn. So maybe it's five teams there. In the West, it's Phoenix in their own group. There's still probably doubts about Memphis only because it's a younger team and the jaw injury. Could it linger potentially with him being out? They're still beating teams without jaw, by the way. Golden State not having their guys around. It's been a mess. Uh, Draymond's been terrible since he's been back, but I still think Golden State's kind of tough to quit. The rest of that group, uh, you'd really, really have to do some salesmanship on me there. So because the top in the East feels a little deeper, which I think we could all agree on, um, that the East has been presented as the better conference, when in fact, if you just go head to head, it's it's almost 500 here. It's not dramatically better. I think where the East wins whatever conversation that you'd want to have here is that from five through 10, maybe, you know, Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Atlanta, the Knicks, the surging Knicks, the 11 seed. Um, out of the playoffs here, likely. Um, but Atlanta, 38 and 37 is your 10 seed, where after seven with Minnesota, it starts getting really thin there in the West. So maybe a a deeper <laughs> a deeper one through 10 slash 11. I guess you could even throw Washington in there if you wanted to, whatever. Remember that great start they got off to their 10 under 500. There's just more teams in the East that were like, okay, that team's pretty good. Whereas if you go back a couple of years ago, even when, you know, the Raptors were a one seed. Philly was was a was a three seed. Boston won 55 games. Cleveland was that weird four seed year, and they they went seven games in Boston uh, with a really young Celtics team where it felt like it was way too early for them to be in it, but, you know, a game away from playing in the NBA title and getting smashed by the Warriors. I don't even think that group back then, four years ago, is as deep as we have right now. Now, whenever I think about talking for a living and talking about sports, uh, as a guy who's done it now 20 years, being a little bit older, there's there's something that just stands out to me. Because if I listen to somebody else say definitively anything about any of these teams, where you'd say, 
Well, maybe not any of these teams, but hey, Boston can win. Milwaukee sucks. Or Milwaukee's awesome. Boston sucks. And I'd be like, all right, I don't really know how you could get there with those two teams. Because I think one of the things about being younger is that you're not, you haven't been around long enough to realize how many times you're going to be wrong. So there are times, I think, as I've gotten older, that I'm a little bit more open-minded about different things that could potentially happen. And if we're doing that with both conferences here, I mean, how many teams would I really say could win a title out of the East? Well, I think it's Milwaukee. I think it is Boston. The Robert Williams thing is a problem um, because he was a big key to how they kind of fundamentally changed what they were doing on defense. I'm not going to write off Kevin Durant. I just can't. I'm just not going to, you know, I just, I think that guy's too special. And after that, I have real questions about Harden in the playoffs and running your offense through a post player in tight games in the playoffs. I think it can get a little dicey. I think Sixers fans would admit that Embiid with the ball with a million guys running at him and him trying to navigate through all those people in a late, late possession isn't probably your favorite thing to watch in basketball. And then you have the Miami Heat again, as of today, sitting there at the one seed. So I could be definitive about a few more teams if I wanted to. You know, Chicago is is not a good basketball team. They're not. I know they're the five seed. They were twenty six and ten. They're seventeen and twenty two since. Uh, and Chica- Chicago's offensive defensive numbers in March they're twenty eighth in offense. They're twenty third in defense. Their point differential is twenty eighth. Teams that are tanking have a better point differential than Chicago in the month of March. So I can be definitive about them. I can lean towards Miami, saying, you know what, they're. Their offense hasn't been great since the All-Star break. Their point differential is actually behind the Knicks, the surging Knicks. Uh, But they still shoot the hell out of the ball. They defend. There's some guys that have some toughness there. So I may not put Miami in that group, but I couldn't be definitive about the Heat the same way that I am about the Chicago Bulls. The Raptors, nice story. Don't really see it. Probably would rather play Chicago or Cleveland than Toronto in the first round. And Cleveland, who's probably been one of the best stories in the East. Remember some of those early days flirting with a top four seed? They just, even with Jared Allen being out, it's a problem. And I just don't love that despite Karis LeVert's dribbling prowess. He had a dribble the other night. I think it was last night, right? Yeah, last night's game against Orlando's fourth squad. I Good luck figuring out who Orlando had in the game last night. Um, but... Karis LeVert had this move where he shook one of the guys from the Magic. It was sick. He missed a shot. But I've already given you my Cleveland breakdown on just having limited offensive options in tight playoff games that are a little bit scary there. So I can be definitive about some of those, but I'll hear other guys do this and be like, it's Milwaukee and it's only Milwaukee. Well, how do you you close on that? Um, Boston statistically is this. And again, the Williams thing changes things a bit. I, I don't know how you could be definitive about just one team in that conference. Now, in the West, you could do it maybe with Phoenix, but I still feel like you're writing off Golden State a little bit, and it's a little disrespectful of a Memphis team that, again, like I said, with Ja being, you know, lingering knee thing, could there be something there with them being young? I know no one likes Utah. Um, I'm not a huge Dallas guy. I mean, the Dallas thing is funny because they'd be, what, a game and a half out of the first seed in the East if they were in the East right now, so that would maybe make us talk ourselves into Dallas. And by the way, they would have a better record even beyond what they have now if they were in the East because they'd be playing the East, which, again, it's pretty even here. But, you know, Dallas, they defend better. They're a little heliocentric in the offense. The Dinwiddie part of this thing has worked out. Dinwiddie's a really smart player and not just a smart guy. He's a really smart guy, so maybe he figured out and adapted to everything that he's doing and playing a little bit better with Doncic because he's been terrific, hit some huge shots for them. But I wouldn't put Dallas down in this group. But I guess other than, you know, I'll hear different people just say, well, it's Phoenix and then it's nobody else, which I know I've probably done a little bit. But if Golden State figured this out and got their guys together, which is kind of a big ass because it just feels like a real limp to the finish line, I don't know that I'd sit here and be completely shocked as I would be with, say, Utah or Denver. 
like I mentioned in the beginning, being younger, when I did this job when I was younger, I didn't, I was like convinced I was right all the time. And then you get enough shit wrong, which is also just mandatory. Like anybody sitting here, it's almost like the gambler that tells you he never loses. The guy that's telling you he's always right every single time about all the sports stuff. Um, he's just lying to you, right? Or he has a horrible memory or just tries to block this stuff out. When I was younger, as you could probably guess my personality, I was I was pretty certain I was right all the time about all the stuff. Then you just you end up being wrong and you go, Oh, wait. It's sports. I mean, it's why we actually watch all this stuff. You know, back in the day, I'm probably sitting there going, Mark. Back in the day, I'm probably just sitting there going, Mark Bolger, give that guy the right weapons. You know, he's not a tier one QB. All right, maybe the health thing. Um, why can't Eddie Curry just be another Elton Brand? Right, 24 years old, look up the stats. Why do the French keep fucking with Lance Armstrong? That guy's a hero, you know? You're, you're bold when you're younger. You're certain when you're younger. And I see the same thing play out when I, I'll just admit, when I see younger and then actually one incredibly old, sports person talking about this stuff well, as if there's no chance they could ever possibly be wrong, which I know is better for TV and it's better for the breakout videos and all that kind of stuff. And there are times where I am definitive, but when I look at the top of the top of the NBA right now, even though I love the Phoenix profile on this, I'm I'm not going to have, I'd probably have four or five teams where at the end of it, they said, all right, they won a championship. There's probably five of like, okay, that can't be totally shocking where I think it's talked about in different years as if it were a huge shock. And it, I don't think it should be applied the same as this year. It also kind of reminds me of just being younger in general as a guy. Uh, you know, whether it was that big, I wouldn't really work in a corporate office, but I can imagine there's there's people that are my age now listening to this when you first get started, depending on where you're at, insurance, sales, whatever, banking. And you just were so sure of your clarity, right? You were so convinced that you were seeing everything perfectly clear and that you'd run to somebody older and be like, hey, I have this great idea for potential business opportunity or we should do a deal with these guys or have we ever thought of this or whatever. And the older guy kind of looks at you and isn't even close to matching your enthusiasm for whatever it is you've interrupted his day with, right? Like you already know this has happened to you and it probably happens to you now with the younger generation. I mean, it's just going to repeat itself over and over again, which is why I was kind of related to sports because I think there's some similarities. Like I remember different stuff. I remember one time I met with somebody who was a producer who liked what I was doing in radio in Boston. So that's 03 to 05. And I, you know, I'm making 20 grand a year, 20 something grand a year. I'm barely getting by. I want to quit all the time. I'm like, this isn't really making any sense. This is pretty stupid, man. And it's going to start getting weird when you're like 30. And this is the same thing that's happening to you. Um, and so I was desperate for anything that felt like it was good news. And there was, there was, uh, there was this meeting, you know, people love meeting. And I, I took this meeting and the premise was I was going to host this reality show and it was going to be on Nesson sort of or whatever. And then we all went out and we met up with other people. And like, here I am thinking, wait, this is, is this my moment? Is this going to be like one of these big moments where everything changed after this? And <laughs> I could kind of tell him like, wait, this guy who's heading this whole thing up, like he might be completely full of shit. And he ended up being totally full of shit. All we did was talk about his contacts. We never got anywhere with it. He wanted money out of the deal or whatever. But before I figured the rest of this stuff out, because I was still somewhat, you know, we're very impressionable with new opportunities in different fields that we're getting into. And I remember calling my dad. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be hosting this reality show. And then it's going to be this and it's going to be that. It's going to be perfect. We got this contact over here. And then my father just like deadpan. He's like, yeah, <laughs> when that's, when's that supposed to start? And I was like, well, I, you know, I, you don't have a start date or whatever. He's like, well, what'd you guys do? I'm like, well, we met this and then we had this other night out. We, he's like, wait, you guys went out drinking and you were talking about this? I was like, yeah. 
He's like, okay. <laughs> that was it. And by obviously the show never happened and he knew it. And it wasn't that he wasn't supportive. It was just that he was a little bit more tempered in his expectations of any kind of opportunity. And the reason I bring that up is that when I see somebody be so certain that it's like this team and no one else, I'm like, either <laughs> you haven't been around long enough or you're just trying to nail the TV segment. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Uh, it's been a while, and... Uh... I'm glad we finally got him on, Dominic Foxworth, ESPN, and uh, NFL vet. There's a lot of stuff that I want to get to here. Um, I'm trying to think the best stuff with you, just just get it out of the way. <laughs> all right, well, I'll try not to derail it. I assume no, you've no. already talked about Will Smith because that's all. That's all anybody wants to talk about is Will Smith and Chris Rock. So I will not take it in that direction. Although I admitted, I agreed to come on to the show. Like I had time to come on. Um, around the same time it happened. And I did want to know, like, your general reaction to this. And I guess I'll listen, because I'm sure you talked about it at some point, right? No, I haven't been on. Bill and I taped Sunday night. Right, no, I heard that show. The, so right. I guess I and, thought earlier, earlier in this show, like, you might open up with uh, your Will Smith, Chris Rock reaction. We'll just do it then, because it's Tuesday, Thursday, <laughs> yes. so I haven't, I haven't really yes. done it. I haven't done it. I was going to start the interview by asking if you ever slapped a man, but maybe we'll get to that a little <laughs> bit later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's here's what happened for those that don't like when I got done taping with Bill, I went back upstairs to watch some stuff that was going on while we were taping, and then I just saw Twitter blow up, and I went, okay, well, I got to check out this a little bit, and then I saw it, and I kind of thought, all right, uh, <laughs> here's the, you you kind of can't be right on any lane, and and you at the same time you could argue you're not wrong in a bunch of the different lanes, and. I know that my first instinct is that whenever I see everybody telling me what a badass they are, like when Marcus Smear, when Marcus Spears says, I would have slapped the shit out of Will Smith, I believe Marcus Spears. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah <laughs> All right. When, when thousands of other people are like, there's no way you would have been able to do that to me, I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Because first of all, if you're Chris Rock, you can't fucking believe this just happened. No, no, no. Right? It's no way. Because like he's walking up there. I would have assumed. He's an actor and he's playing out a bit. Chris Rock had his hands by his back and he rocked him. <laughs> okay. And, so, and then there's also the it's a fake crew because none of us, none of us ever, you know, white dress, blue dress, none of us can ever, ever <laughs> yeah. figure this stuff out. Um, I once I, I I'll admit I'm cynical. I thought, okay, is this real? And then when I saw the footage that leaked in the commercial break of Denzel and Tyler Perry going up to console him, and here's the other thing, too. And maybe this is being on TV. You can see that Chris Rock is flustered. He's like, yeah. what the fuck? And mm -hmm. he even screws up his toss a little bit. does Because he's, he's just like, I can't believe. Yet he still has a job to do. So for all the, you know, I don't know, man. Chuck Norris is out there that think like this is on. It's like, well, you're still actually in front of everybody yeah. hosting the Oscars. You can't like, look, the only thing that I can ever compare it to with something that happened to me is that when I was staying in Malibu with my friend Carissa and she was gone and I came back and there was a stalker waiting for her outside of the house. 
it went from I'm not sure what's going on to the story got thinner and thinner and thinner. And then once it finally fell apart and then I thought, okay, but I wasn't remotely afraid of him. Not like I'm some badass, but I could just tell I was like, I'm not afraid of this guy, but I didn't know the full story, the full scope of the story. Here's a guy with somebody who I know sort of well, but not everything about her life saying he was from her town invited to visit. He's got luggage with them. It's, and then his story gets worse and worse and worse. And then in the video, you can see where I kind of like straighten up a bit. Cause I'm like, all right, this guy's totally mm-hmm. off the reservation. It doesn't make any fucking sense. He's probably listening right now, by the way, cause he still tweets out shit about my family. But, um, right. my friends were like, how did you not kick his ass? And I'm like, yeah. okay, I get what you're saying, but you don't understand in the moment when, and this is different, but it, it reminded me of like in the moment for everybody saying, how come you didn't punch Will Smith back or whatever? And my friends are like, how did you not beat up the stalker? It's like, cause you don't really, it's such a weird thing in the moment that you don't really process it the way everybody else. When it's like, oh, yeah. cool. Hours later, you know exactly what you would have done in an unprecedented situation. Now I've, I've come to this point in my life. I just turned 39 last week. I and saw the old dad point. hat thing. Yeah. <laughs> I almost voted, but I, I feel like I couldn't. <laughs> no, you're you're invited to vote. Like everybody knows the old black man hat. Yeah, I just not sure which type of hat I need to buy because there are only four types of old black men, and the hat tells you which type <laughs> he is. But anyway, um, I've come to this point in my life where I'm better about presenting myself honestly, you know, and like. I saw those like Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears and those guys like I know them. Yes, they they likely would have whooped this dude's ass. But I didn't jump out there and say that because I don't know that I would. Like, I, I honestly don't know that I would. And that's fine with me. And the most important thing to me was like when I woke up because I was asleep. I'm an old man. I live on the East Coast. I was asleep. I woke up to go to the bathroom. I look at my phone. I see Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. And I'm like, all right. This is ridiculous, but I'm going to click it anyway. I'm standing over the toilet, see what happened. Then he really slapped him. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like a little stunned, like shocked. And if I'm young and cool, my response is laughter because that's what you do or whatever. Like, this is awesome. But my first response is like, oh, like clutch my pearls. And then later when I finally woke up again, the next thing is, did Will Smith just raise the bar for all of us? Like, I, I need to have a conversation with my wife. So if that happens to you, like I've been out with women and been out with my wife and like she's attractive and people like hit on her or flirt or whatever and or or say something inappropriate. And I thought that all I had to do was, hey, 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 watch it now. Chill out. All right. Don't. Hey, hey. Now we ain't gonna have no problems out here, are we? Like I thought that was what I needed to do. And that normally clears things up right away. So I talked to my wife and I was fortunate because it, that was the thing that shocked me is there was a uh, a lot of women in my life, like friends of mine, and not necessarily on social media, found it chivalrous and impressive. And I was fortunate to know that my wife and I are on the same page. She don't want me getting no fight, but I will end with this. I'm not going to say that I would have punched Will Smith, and I understand how people are celebrating Chris Rock for being composed in that moment. But I'm telling you how I would want that to end. Like, I probably wouldn't have been prepared to get punched or slapped. So I probably would have got hit, too. I like to think that I have some leftover athleticism and I could have dodged that blow. But I wouldn't have expected it. But I'm not saying how I would have responded. But I know that even if it destroyed my career, I do not want people to be talking about how much a professional I was the next day. (laughs) I, I... 
would like to form tackle Will Smith and put him in a triangle. And people, maybe they're mad at me, but that's just like, that's not how I want this moment to be remembered. And no matter, Chris Rock's my favorite comedian of all time. No matter what, until the end of the time, end of time, this is going to be something that sticks to him. And that is the part of my like 25 year old brain that I can't quite get away with. I can't quite get away from is that's 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 just a shameful. Yeah, I thought he held up well against the slap. There's no way he didn't. <laughs> I you said it really well in the beginning. That's kind of what I thought. It's like, oh, Will Smith's coming him around. He's an act. He's like, this is going to be funny. He's going to do something. And then you're like, wait this is on and the fact that he stayed on his feet considering the size difference uh is impressive but if i were chris rock although i don't know physically what he'd be able to do to will smith i would uh i would i would be planning a long time for some sort of payback like there would be there would be something i would i would wait i would wait <laughs> and then we'd be at a party 2 years later and there's no way that would be the end of the transaction there's just no way but in the moment in the moment, I just, I don't know. I lay out. I don't go like, oh man, he should have done this. And then on the other side of it too, like if you, if you play the, cause I saw all the pieces on it. It's like, all right, if you're insulting a wife about a medical condition and if rock didn't really know, and then there's some other videos going around that were like, now nah, this seed was planted long ago. He's making fun of Will Smith. But honestly, like Will Smith is when you're that famous, you're going to get made fun of too. So then it turns into like the role of comedians. I was like, all right, I'm good. And then it turns into kind of the toxic masculinity thing. And I'm like, yeah, because I've never seen a video of women hitting each other, right? That's yes. never happened before. So then it becomes a bunch of other things other than what it was, which is always kind of the case with those. The reason I thought I was said at the beginning that you were my hero is that they brought you on first take yesterday to talk about it. Molly Karam, the host, as she was throwing to you, was like, and by the way, he won the Oscar for King Richard, which is by the other, for the people to think it's fake, then he fucked over his own thing. Like yeah. he won an Oscar for best male actor and yet no one will remember that. And it was this massive moment that could have been different. And then she had said, it's a wonderful movie. And why I love Foxworth is you deadpan looked at her. I'm at the gym. I'm getting a little cardio warm up in <laughs> and the subtitles are going and the look on your face and you go, the movie, what'd you say? It was, you were like, ah, it's mediocre. Yeah. And Molly looks off screen. You destroyed her entire toss to you, but you had to keep it real. You couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't help yourself. I wanted to love that movie. I, and like the story is outstanding. I watched the movie and it, I don't know, it just seemed formulaic, you know, like, which is fine. It was an okay movie. I don't mean to say it was a bad movie, but like, I didn't think it was like Oscar worthy, but whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not a part of the Academy and we all can have our opinions, but yeah, it was mediocre. There you go. Okay. All right. Let's do, uh, I, I am going to get back to some of the, uh, the entertainment stuff here with Foxworth, which is awesome news. And I want to share it with everybody here. Um, but let's go to this football stuff. Uh, Deshaun gets introduced this week. Mm -hmm. Deshaun is really good at football. Um, the contracts, as you know, as somebody involved in this stuff at the highest level, it's something you and I love talking about CBAs and kind of the future of how this stuff will look. Always felt like if it were a complete free agent world, the guaranteed money would almost be dollar for dollar for some of these quarterbacks. I think it's going right. to start happening at some other positions here. And it happens here with Deshaun, which kind of blew everybody out of the water. But what's the best way? It's, what's the best way of, of processing all of this, which we understand is still a football transaction, even yeah. if people are disgusted by it? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think I'm ready yet to talk about the implications. Like, and there's not much implications to talk about. He's a great quarterback. Um, and anytime you add a great quarterback, 
to your team, that's good. So like, there's not much there to dissect. And at some point we'll move on and we'll only talk about him as a football player. Like there's a laundry list of players who've been in um, horrible situations and eventually that's what happens. And I think in particular, when a guy is um, contrite and admits what he's done and works on decisions or whatever, that helps us in that process. Like that gives us the liberty to say, like nobody's perfect, or whatever, even with some of the most heinous things that we've seen athletes do. Deshaun's not willing to do that because Deshaun, like these are allegations. And I um, am willing to accept that some of the 23 women maybe have made it up, but it's hard for me to believe that 23 women have completely made this up and it's not going to, to court. And that's fine. And there are things like I badly want to root for Deshaun Watson. And like, I, I'll put my cards on the table with you as I always do. Like he's a black quarterback and we are not like post-racial in this world and not in this league. So I want him to win. Like, I, I, I want the Browns to do well. I've heard great things about Stefanski as a human being in that building and the relationships he's built with people. I want them to win. But it's hard given the context of the situation. Like, we are post-Me Too. And that does change things. So, like, I, I brought up the fact that he's a black quarterback because, like, I, I get people, like, in my family, in my friend group, and, like, obviously on social media who are like, y'all weren't that hard on Ben Roethlisberger. Like, Okay, well, first of all, I was playing then, and Ben Roethlisberger was plenty hard on me on the field, so I didn't have an opportunity to address that. And they'll bring up Tyree Hill. They'll bring up all these other things that we weren't, these incidences that we were not as hard on. And for the Ben Roethlisberger stuff specifically, it's a lot about race, which, you know me, like, I believe that race is involved in everything. But in this particular incident, that's not what I'm going to focus on. And I think had Ben Roethlisberger's incident or incident, it feels like I'm minimizing it. The rape allegations been post me too. Like the context matters. I'm sorry. Like if you, yeah, so it matters. The fact that it is post me too, like we are more awake to these type of things than we were in the past. And it feels different, honestly, to treat things the same as they've been treated before. So like all that in mind, I like feel like there's, should be some price paid by, Deshaun Watson, obviously, and some price paid by the Browns organization. But then I look up and I'm like, every other team in the league in that position would have done the same thing. So then I land on like, it's about us. Like as much as we want to deny it and we all, and I'm including myself in this, we want to grandstand on social media or on TV or on podcasts and say all the right things and pretend like we care about women and pretend like we care about justice and rights and all that stuff. We want to do that and we want to present that face, but we don't actually care. Like we don't because the sacrifice is like that. I, I talked about this a little bit on first take is like, to me, at least you show what's important to you by the sacrifices you're willing to make. Like you can say anything, but the decisions that you make and no one, including myself, none of us are about to make any sacrifices um, of our football intake and after all, that's like that justifies the Browns decision. And as much as we would like them to be more like air quotes, moral or league to be more moral, like they're responding to the to the environment, the atmosphere that they live in. And that's an atmosphere that we create and perpetuate. And like this applies to race, gender, sexual orientation, all the isms that 
people like me like to read and talk about. Like the, the, the bottom line is people like to put up black squares on Instagram, whatever, but the people who believe it are the people that are willing to sacrifice for it. And that ain't us. Have you ever, well, I don't want to get into a situation, but like basically every team in the NFL, because it's a reflection of society, you probably get a guy that, that, yeah. that has some shit where you're like, ah, I don't know about this guy. But the yeah. thing that I always kind of remind people of when I'm talking about this, at least privately with my friends, is be like, okay, I get what you would say publicly. I get what, I get what everybody is supposed to say. I know what the rules are. All right. I know what it plays, but I also know that if it were your friend, you would handle it differently. You know, the people that criticize the most are usually criticizing the people they know the least. And um, in this case with Deshaun, there are going to be teammates that are not going to like him. There's going to be a lot of teammates that are like, hey, look, man, like you're on our team and and we're good to go. And I think the public would be like, well, it'd be great if no one supported him on the team, but that's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. What is that like in the locker room when you have a teammate that has some shit and there's different dynamics of how people are feeling about him as a teammate, yeah. as a guy. I have no expectation of any teammate to to take some public position against Deshaun Watson. Like that's not my expectation for them. Um, and yes, I played with plenty of guys who had plenty of tough situations and bad decisions and illegal um, incidences. Uh, Darren Williams, uh, my draft class, a corner got drafted with me, got shot and killed on New Year's Eve, in part because of how some of uh, my teammates were behaving in the club. So like right with the Broncos. Yeah. And Darren was like, we got drafted same position together. Like we were close like that broke my heart. And to know that had some other people on the team done things differently, maybe things would have turned out differently like that. I felt some type of way about that. But. You're right. When you have relationship relationships with somebody, it changes how you react to them. And so, like, I can't think of a situation that could be worse than that because it touches you as an individual. And I got a job to do and I care about those people. So, like, I and I think everybody can relate to that. Like, everybody has a job. Nobody in your workplace is perfect. And you find a way to work together. Like You have friend groups amongst your friend groups. Somebody done done something that was terrible. Like it's, it's, you're not above it. And if you don't have a friend like that, you are that friend. And so it's, it's just the way that it is. It's the way that the world works. So just because you know somebody, like it doesn't mean that you can't hold them accountable. You can, but that's not my expectation. I I think the expectation is for, frankly, uh, the legal system fails in this regard, but like it's the reason why we have a legal system is so that we don't have to be burdened with the responsibility of um of punishing people and fixing people and make like you should be able to say um he paid his time he like he paid his debt and and move on but you can't so yeah i don't have any expectation of the people of the team to do anything but i also am not going to begrudge anybody who like every time they talk about it, they bring it up. I know that's going to get annoying to a lot of people, but it's not going to bother me. Like it's the least we could do to demonstrate um, some support of the 23 she says on the other side of his he said. On the other side of this, this that's not related. It's just the football part of it is, is Baker Mayfield. I, I get yeah. the sense you've not been a huge Baker fan. I actually, surprisingly, no, I'm not a huge Baker fan. 
but I thought they should have, um, after last season, the season before last, I thought they should have extended him because I thought they could get him for cheap. Um, that was a bad thought. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw where it was headed. I was like, you guys going to end up paying him. The sooner you pay him, the better off you'll be. Because he was good for one year. He was bad the year before, and we blamed it on Freddie Kitchens. He was bad last year. We blame it on his injuries. Like, the one year he had a good coach and, um, and a healthy body, like, he was decent. He was an NFL starting quarterback. So I assumed that they were going to pay him, given their history there. And I was like, man, y'all better pay him earlier because, like, the cap's only going to go up and up. People are only going to push this higher and higher. Pay him now before you're stuck in a situation where you're in a bidding war over Baker Mayfield. I was wrong. All right, so you were wrong, which is not <laughs> always easy for any of us to say uh, on that one. And yeah, I think it was hurt last year too. But I think the yeah. parts of Baker's personality that people yeah. were kind of worried about and you didn't really, it was one of those classic things. Like if he's winning, it's cool. Look how good he is in the commercials. Yep. And then you start losing. It's like, how come he's doing all these commercials? Same shit happened <laughs> to RG3. Like I remember yeah. that when it was like, this is amazing. You know, this guy's the face <laughs> of the franchise and everything. And it's like now all of a sudden he can't slide right. And you're like, yeah. man, he's doing a lot of subway ads. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous how, how quickly brutal. we move, we move it. Um, on how we judge you, but did you have like I went through it? All right, so you had you had Plummer towards the end of the Denver run, and then you had Cutler mm-hmm. in his first year as a starter, right? And then you mm-hmm. had twenty three year old Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. You had Flacco in his second season as a starter, so he's twenty four, yep. and then twenty five. Maybe there was a younger guy in there too, but was there? Was there? You're shaking your head already. <laughs> So go ahead, shake. Tell me what you're you're anticipating what the question was before I even get it. But I want Brad, what's what's yeah. motivating you shaking your I, head? I never had that guy. Like I, I never played on a team where um you felt confident no matter what. My rookie year, we went 13 and three, and Jake Plummer was putting up some big numbers. Um, and Ben Roethlisberger beat us in the conference championship in large part because he was giving me the business. So I don't blame Jake Plummer for that, but I think that season was like the best quarterback play. Matt Ryan was awesome as a rookie. So I, I'd say that was probably the best season that I had as a quarterback play. But And then I was gone. I got a free agent in Baltimore, Joe Flacco, who ended up having an awesome playoff run. So like I played with guys who had the potential to reach that, but I never played with like an all-time great or a top five in the league type of guy. And I imagine that feels incredible. It's it's what my high school teammates must have felt like when I was out there. It doesn't matter what we do. He got us. <laughs> and it's not a feeling I had. I remember in locker rooms with Ray and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs, like we would practice pitching the ball in practice. Like if you get a turnover, you better not get tackled with it. My first interception, I, I sat on a, a out route for um, my first interception in Baltimore. I sat on an out route to, I think it was to Braylon Edwards. I caught it and I'm running, trying to get down the sideline to score. It was a bad pass, so I couldn't make it there. And someone grabs and starts yanking the ball away from me. And I'm holding it tight. And it's Ray. Give it up. Give it up. And I let it go. And that was like, because they would talk about in practice in the locker room is we're going to have to score today. We gonna, if we want to win, we're going to have to score today. And stopping them is not enough. And so that's, that was what uh, 
that was a situation I was always in, which is a, a, a heightened situation of pressure where I imagine if you had uh, Peyton Manning as your quarterback, you give up six and you're like, ah, no big deal. I played against Peyton Manning. And when I gave up six, I left. We lost. If we are down in the third, down in the fourth, we are not. I think we lost to them 13 to 16 when I was in Baltimore. I was not happy. I can't imagine those practices, man. That Oh, they're great. I think I might have told this story on your show before that just to speak to, like, Ray gets a ton of credit. He deserves it. And, I mean, we talked about, like, off the field transgressions, like, Ray was uh, was kind of the last player to have a big off the field transgression before Goodell came in with the hammer, and Ray there was no conviction, so Ray's penalty was very minor given what happened. But but anyway, and people talk a lot about Ray and how competitive he is, and he is. He's crazy. He's an awesome guy to play with, and a great teammate. Incredibly smart. But the the unique thing about him was. He had like this ability to take himself to some place mentally before even the most mundane, meaningless game. And like I'm a young player on that team trying to prove myself. And we're playing, I think, like a night game in Cleveland. We know we're going to win and we're in the tunnel. And I'm like, all right, let's go do this. <laughs> and Ray has tears in his eyes. And I, like, who the hell am I? Ray's already won a Super Bowl at this point. He's already, they already started carving his bus a Hall of Fame. Like, he is in, in the conversation for best defensive player of all time, not just best linebacker all time. He's already all of that. He's at the tail end of his career at this point. And he's, like, in tears in the tunnel. And eventually, like, I work up whatever to, and he's, like, getting intense, ready to play. And he mentioned to me, how the crime stats in Baltimore are impacted by whether we win or lose. And that's some Michael Jordan type stuff. You know, Michael Jordan find a grudge and make up stories. Like we all remember that from, from growing up and from the last dance. But Ray like sincerely believed, and maybe it was true, but it wasn't going to make me play harder. <laughs> but it, for him, it was special. And then the, the Ed story that I like to tell is, he was always looking for an angle to, to get better or to, an angle to get an advantage. And I remember when I first got there, I, my first game wasn't good. Second game, a little bit better. But I was playing scared because I'd been watching Ed play. And I was like, I don't know where the hell he's going to be. And it's like, I don't want to give up a touchdown. So I'm going to play off. And so then I started hosting everybody at my house, all the DBs at my house for film study. And Ed would talk through what he was seeing and thinking. And it's just genius. Like him and Ray both were like real. You don't get this said about defensive players this much, but they're just like really. They were quarterbacks mentally. And so an interception that Ed got in that in the uh, Colts game that I was talking about earlier. So we had studied film and saw that they like to re repeat plays. They have a successful big play. They're going to run the line, hurry up, repeat the play. And either you stop it. And we noticed like, all right, other teams noticed this. So they ran a comeback on me. And I was like, and they ran to the line. They said whatever code word they were using to repeat the play. And I looked back at Ed 
which meant they're repeating a play. I'm sitting on this. Ed and I already knew that if I sit on it, they convert and he runs past to run a go. So snaps the ball. They run the comeback again. I sit on it. Um, uh, Reggie Wayne puts his hands up and runs past me. The snap of the ball, Ed takes two steps to the left and then just turns and hauls ass to the right and gets over and intercepts the ball. Like once I was able to understand what level he was playing on, like I could see the same things that he was seeing, which allowed me, I was like, all right, I know, I think it was a playoff game that I watched with him the year before where he was in cover two and they ran double slants. The Dolphins ran double slants. I think it was a year before. He's a deep half safety. You're, you're not supposed to pick off a slant. He intercepted it because he knew QB under, um, I think it was a second in, or third and short, QB under, third and short, two by two. They love um, double slant right, th- right here, especially with the, um, with the flopped alignment from the outside receiver on the slot side. He did all that. He jumps it. It's, a, it's an interception for them. But like you have to be at, an, at a savant level to be able to see and process all that. And also you have to have the pelts on the wall to be able to do that because anybody else doing that, it's a problem. Yeah. Back to the Ray part, though, uh, I do remember the crime thing because then he actually shared it with us. It was, oh, he did? <laughs> it was, there was a thing where he, his quote was like, it was this thing called crime. And we were yeah. like, what? And yeah. so now that actually makes more sense because now we understand what the hell he was talking about. But when I was talking about the, you know, having a teammate going to the off the field stuff, the reason I'm not going to bring up Ray is because at that stage, I already know what the answer is. Like, it wasn't like yeah. anybody at that stage, by the time you were in Baltimore, Ray Lewis in the locker room, where oh. he brought up a point that somebody yeah. was going to say, well, Ray, I think you should sit this one out. Like, nobody's <laughs> yeah. going to say that to him. Right. But I mean, so our locker room was a different place. That Baltimore culture is a special one. Um, never been around anything like that. I could give you some more stories about how great that place was from a cultural standpoint. And to the point of like Ray... All the stuff that like the outside world would make fun of Ray about, we would in the locker room too. It was like a weird situation where like how you were like he's oh, you might receive the crime thing as like as like dramatic and and wild. Like though it worked for Ray, it didn't work for everybody on the team. And like even guys who weren't like starters, it's a crazy culture. Like backup guys were like comfortable making fun of Ray. It was like a, a very egalitarian type culture. And I think it's part of the reason why they've been so successful for so long. But I did want to tell this um, Ed story. And I didn't think I was going to come on here and just be like a, a Raven storyteller. But it gives you a little insight into the way Ed's mind works. It's where we do two-minute drill at the end of practice every day. Um, and it's ones against ones, offense against defense. And Joe Flacco gets under center after completing a ball and wants to spike the ball to stop the clock. Ed times up the snap and dives in practice under the center's legs to try to catch the spike, to intercept the spike. He does not succeed, but that gives you insight into how this, when I say the man's looking for every little edge and there's nothing that crosses his mind or there's nothing that he has not considered. It's like this man was, was practicing stealing a spike so that at some point in the game, he was going to steal a spike. That's incredible. <laughs> All right. Uh, one last thing that I want to get to here. Um, how much have you shared about the writing stuff with, uh, with other platforms? 
Um, I haven't talked about it at all. All right. So is it fair for me just to share? Hey, you're, you're writing, you're working, you're working in drama, right. screenwriting. You and I have talked mm-hmm. about this now for a little while. We shared our, our passion for it. Um, and you ended up getting hooked up with uh, the guys in the Aaron Hernandez TV show. So you're in the writer's room still right now, right? We're going through this process. Yep. Started in October. It's about um, five hours a day via Zoom and then a couple hours, uh, extra hours um, to, to write a script. And I actually went out to L.A. for a week to like be live in, in, in the room when we when we did it. But, yeah, it's been an incredible process. So it's like the the American Crime Story series, like the O.J. and uh, Versace, like all the the Brian Murphy products they are i'm spinning off to a american sports story the first one they're going to do is um aaron hernandez so i'm in the writer's room and i like actually got a script like i'm not just in there as a football consultant which is what they tried to do to me at first they're like let's just you'll just be the football consultant so then i went in there and i'm a competitor so i showed my ass and then they promoted me to like a full staff writer and I got a script and everything. It's it's hard as hell, but I still love it, man. All right. So what's it like first time? It's outstanding. I, I so it's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of debate. It's a lot of opinions. It's um it's incredibly creatively fulfilling and challenging. And I think that's part of what I like about it is it's an opportunity to communicate to people in a way like the sports aside, like I could care less about the sports of the story. I think it's the bigger picture stuff that really interests me. When I read, when I watch something, I think I'm all often looking for what they're trying to say. And I think that's what excites me about being a part of this process is while I'm going to get the credit for writing one of the scripts, it was so much more input in my script by everyone else. And there's so much of me in the rest of the scripts. It just feels like a really cool collaborative, like a team aspect thing. And I think maybe if I'm looking for some parallels in my life, like it's the first time that I've felt similar to what you feel in the locker room. And I don't miss playing, but I miss parts of playing. And the part I miss most is like a small group of guys where it's us and everybody outside the room is them. And while we aren't like competing in games or whatever, we're not competing against someone per se. Like even when we we do an outline or we do a script and we send it to the um, the executives to take a look at, they're them. <laughs> like and and we are like fiercely defensive of the things that we've done. Like we take the input that's given to us, but like that's to me is one of the most exciting parts. And when it finally comes out, like we're the writers, so we don't get, not director, we're not the actors. So it's going to be, it's going to get someone else's creative influence on top of it. But that is going to feel like game day and this whole process. Like even the times when I'm up till, like there was one week where I'm doing two jobs. So I'm up till four o'clock in the morning every night for one week to get the script done. And I'm sure everyone can relate to this. Like in the process of doing something like that, it sucks. But it's also that feeling where like it sucks so good. I don't know if anyone else, I'm sure you can relate to that. Where like you're grinding and you feel good about it in a way. And like it's hard to find something that you care enough about to put that effort in. But I have in this and I love it. 
There's another part of the story too that I'm going to share because I just think it's funny between you and I. I interviewed for it and, and Foxworth got it. And you thought I was going to be mad at you. I did. Why? I was so pumped for you. I seriously was pumped for you. I, there was not one, because first of all, you know how much I like you. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're not like boys, boys checking in right, all the right. time. But when I said, hey, I heard, I think you've got it and I'm not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> and you like we haven't really talked that much since yeah. maybe you thought i was bullshitting you because there's nothing no. better than our business people telling everybody how happy they are for them while they're motherfucking them behind their back <laughs> i i was straight up happy for you because i think it's an awesome experience and i know how bad you wanted it because we've talked about it now for a while so i i was i was cool with it yeah i mean you and i are different places in this process like you are working on your own stuff you know and so i think had we been at the same position like i really wanted it like i need uh, that's um, credibility. So like if you were also like needing that credibility, like because before that, no one thought of me as someone who was capable of being a screenwriter. Now I could walk in a room and say, I'm a screenwriter. I, I wrote a fucking script. It's real. A, yeah, right. A I big mean- time drama. Like I did it. So, but I think if you were in that same spot, you would have been mad. <laughs> or you've been like not mad but like competitive it's natural to be competitive like but i think um, because i'm a step behind you in this process it's kind of like little bro like yeah good for you it's a different no, see now see maybe i made a mistake and like maybe i would sound like i was trying to give myself credit for being cool about it but i i maybe i should have just kept it in simplest form and that i was just happy for it and by the way i don't know i don't know if we could be talking about how much more established i am in this but it is it's kind of what I have been talking about, though, the chasing part of it of like, I want something that challenged me so hard that when it does pay off, I'm like, this was worth it. Because those moments in front of the laptop by yourself, when mm-hmm. it's going wrong, they're the fucking mm-hmm. worst. And it's yeah. just you. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's it, and then you, sometimes you're like, am I ever going to fix this? Am I ever going to get out of this? Is anybody going to like any of this stuff? Does it make any kind of sense whatsoever? <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. I, I, I hate to get philosophical and, and weird or whatever, but I do think that people say like money doesn't make you happy and like it feels like BS or whatever, but like different people, different things speak to different people. And I think you and I are similar in that like the challenge of it is um, like really engaging and enriching and to be able to find another mountain to try to climb whether you get to the peak of it or not like waking up in the morning tired as hell getting the kids off to school doing what i got to do around the house doing my espn stuff and then like being really excited to do more work i i love it man i love it all right well will you come on then when's it when's it debuting by the way do we, do you uh, we got a, a ways yeah we got a ways to go yeah the room opened in october it's supposed to close in a couple weeks so we haven't even started casting and and all that stuff um i'm not sure if i'm going to be how much of the process i'm going to be a part of going forward i'm hoping i've shown myself well um well enough that i can be involved in some of the process going forward but we'll see and like yeah the the showrunner a guy named Stu zickerman is outstanding incredible like he's the one who gave me the opportunity and and then also like was trusted me enough to give me more responsibility after i showed i was capable of it like as you know like that's super rare and unlikely and he's been patient and flexible with me throughout this whole process so and he has been let me do it which is cool 
yeah, it's the rules seem to be changing more and more with the industry yeah. where like yeah. if I had said to ESPN, well, granted, having a radio show five days a week, it was just not yeah. I don't think it's realistic to be able to done both. But it is kind of funny how the business in general is allowing kind of more stuff. And it, yeah. it, it's, I think it's, it's because they that that back then they value valued you and talent like it differently than they do now. <laughs> and I think part of that is like, all right, well, we got a couple guys that we're going to pay with money. The rest of them, we're going to pay with money and privileges. Yes, maybe <laughs> that's it. Maybe that's it. But yeah, Stu, uh, Stu's a really great guy. So I'm, I'm glad that's working out. All right, well, come on again. Talk about this further on. Because right. I, I could do just 30, 40 minutes on that in the room and your experience as a first-time guy. Uh, but All I right. wanted to share that with everybody because they're pumped for you. All right. So Thanks a lot, bro. We'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. He's one of the most talented guys I've ever worked with. Peter Rosenberg wow. joins us. Uh, what are you? What are we up to on the job count? Four now. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd like to be working. I'm. I'm. I'm planning one day to work the other direction. Um, I really. I swear to you. I. I. I really am. But I. I have the two radio shows still in New York. Hot ninety seven in the morning. ESPN in the afternoon. And then I do a, a wrestling podcast and the the WWE moonlighting and. And then I do a hip hop podcast just for fun, basically every week to just sit and talk with my friends. So I do plenty. I do plenty. He's a big part of our wrestling content here at the Ringer. Uh, Cheap Heat is out, and I know you got a couple other things coming on too. And you guys are all going to WrestleMania 38 as well with live pods, green room, the whole deal. Oh Shoemaker. yeah. So mm -hmm. all right, let me let me ask you this: How many wrestling storylines are left? You what do you mean, like ever to tell for the future, or like what? Yeah. Do you mean? Like, where are we in the process of, of that? Well, well, that's so like you, this is what right are the surveyors saying? Well, the, the ultimate storyline, this is what you're asking about. I know how to get to what you'd be interested in. Thank the you. ultimate storyline that has not played out yet would be the Vince McMahon succession storyline. Like that would be the thing that's still out there where you have Vince McMahon his son, Shane, his daughter, Stephanie, his son-in-law, Triple H, who just announced that he's never wrestling again, but he's still one of the great minds in the wrestling business. Um, you also have Nick Khan, who has become a major player behind the scenes in WWE, which I'm sure they could bring to the storyline as well. To me, that's the craziest, sexiest storyline that's sitting out there. All right, so what, I mean, it's not like they're going to, give this thing away i mean it's it's a family business and it always felt like you know again i don't pay a ton of attention to it but i'm not a guy that knocks it like if people are into it you know be into it you know what i mean like who am i to say have less fun enjoy something you enjoy less like I, i'm certainly i don't have time for some stuff i even enjoy now but why would why would the mcbands have been doing this this long like what is potentially in play that plays well as a storyline but also plays well as a business idea well, I, I guess I guess there's a few things. I mean, listen, I'm I'm totally speaking out of school. This is just me as a fan. Um, yeah, but you work for him too, right? So yes. So like I, <laughs> I I work there, you know. But like I'm a I'm a contractor, you know. I do right. I do 
pay-per-view events. I'm going to be hosting a show uh, this year. Like I, I do things here and there, but like it's not my full-time employment. I have a, a really great situation there, but I don't speak on any knowledge. Like I do not have conversations with the McMahons. I don't know. I speculate. And this is sort of one of the funny things about doing cheap heat for the ringer is like, I still just sort of speak on it as an outsider, even though they let me come in once a month and work as an insider. Um, but uh, essentially, my guess would be, you know, there's a world in which there's always been rumors they would sell. Maybe they'd sell to Disney. Maybe at this point they'd sell to one of the massive streamers, something like that, that they could make a ton of money and sort of uh, everyone moves on and some huge streamer continues the legacy and the the brand continues, but they move on. I, I am with you. I don't see that part happening. However, there's another interesting play about just simply, you know, Vince McMahon wants to work until he's like 105 years old. And by all accounts, he's not human. And that is possible. But assuming one day he's not able to work full time, who runs day to day operations? That is an interesting thought because he is still incredibly hands on. Yeah, right. I think, and again, I don't want to put you in a spot here where I'm like, oh, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Um, when does Nikon rep you now, though? Because no. that's like he doesn't rep, but he's, uh, you know, I know he's not an Nikon. So if people don't know, Nikon was a huge sports uh, talent agent. By the way, um, I would just add to this: he was easily the most powerful guy that represented people at ESPN for a long stretch there. Like whatever, yeah. whatever. Like when you had Nikon, you just knew it was always going to work out. So there. Did you, go. you did you ever have Nikon? I did have him for a little while. And um, so so he, that's exactly right, though. Major power player got people. I might he, be the one. I might be the one where it was like it didn't work out. But go ahead. Because I'll just say, if you were to go talk to like, you know, Beatle, Kellerman, all the big deals you heard about, like a lot of those were were Nick. Get up. And then staffing. The reason it exists, I think. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are rumors that Nick Khan one day was like, hey, do you want to give three of my clients a huge platform in the morning? Like done. Yeah, you know, he was the man. He was the man, and a couple of years ago, he left CAA, which was a huge surprise, and just went to WWE, and since then, he's become a really important, you know, uh, front-facing person for the company. Not, not front-facing on television, but front-facing brand-wise behind the scenes. Um, so there's that part that's interesting because he's now had a, a role that has emerged, and Stephanie, of course, has always been involved and still is from like a sort of another front facing global um, ambassador sort of thing and, and lots of other things, women's initiatives, so many different things they do. And then you have Triple H who created NXT and did all these cool things sort of behind the scenes culturally at WWE. Shane McMahon, who had left and then came back. Like, so there's just I can't help but think like our writers not watching Succession. Like, aren't they thinking like, hey, we kind of have succession is one of the most popular things on TV. We have the real deal right here. Yeah, I uh, ran into Stephanie when she was at ESPN when she was doing part of the car wash thing. And it had been a long standing thing because, you know, where I went to school in Vermont, we had a bunch of Greenwich folks there. And one of the girls that was from Greenwich, um, Stephanie McMahon came to visit and she was in our dorm room. And they were telling us to put on the far side. And it had been this story that they were like, oh, do you remember when Stephanie McMahon came to visit? You know, I'm not going to say the other girl's name. And so it had been, I don't know, 20 plus years. And so I ran into her. I was getting ready and mic'd up to go on a talk NBA on SportsCenter. She was coming off. And I was like, hey, you know, my name is Ryan Rosillo. 
like we actually met years ago. You came up to visit UVM with, you know, and I mentioned the girl that she was friends with. She's like, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, that's, she's like, I always love hearing about these stories about me. That was like, well, this isn't even a bad story. I was like, I just, it was, you know, the early nineties and what she's like, yeah, that wasn't me. I've never been there. I don't know who that person is. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Good time. It's like, it great. It was great saying hi to you. And so then guys started recircling around. Like, we need to get in touch. Like, wait a minute. What was somebody in? Like, we, was, was this story totally made up? Like, what the hell? Wait, no, the I was side? there. It was, it was in, it was in our dorm room. We were just geeky freshmen fired what? up. And where did the far side f fit in? Someone just wanted to listen to the far side. I heard yeah, you the far side. That was, that was what we always remembered. It was like, hey, put on Pass Me By again. So we were like, no problem. <laughs> and we're like, we can't believe she's in our room. And then, so now we're like, did we have an imposter? Or <laughs> is it just a weirder story where she was like, you can get the fuck away from me. Like, <laughs> but by the way, totally fair. That would be totally in bounds also. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It was seriously. I think I was going out there to be like, Probably another MJ LeBron debate and be like, hey, we're still getting the C's. MJ LeBron, how much meat left on that bone? I'd be like, I got you. I'll be by at 940. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, Stephanie McMahon, it was good to see you again. I remember, you know, she was just like deadpan, looked at me. She's like, yeah, that wasn't me. I've never been there. I was like, all right, good times, good times. All right. So here's here's what I think is always interesting to anybody. Even the storylines themselves, like I have a friend who was in college uh, with us and I think still deep down has this seed that has not been watered of loving the idea of working in the writer's room and coming up with the storylines. Yeah. Um, like you said, you're, you're not in it. You're kind of a, a contractor comes by and does this, but can you give us any insight into that part of this world? I'll, I'll say this. It's, you know, it's certainly different now than it was 20 years ago. Um, it is, you know, there are a lot of writers. There are a lot of people there at any given time. I've never been in a writer's meeting, but like they really do have these meetings where writers are pitching ideas to Vince McMahon and everyone's sort of sitting around. And if you come up with a good idea, you get your props and it's like, oh, my God, I had a moment. This is fantastic. Like all of those things sort of do exist. Right. Um, but I have no idea what it's like. I know it's super intense. Um, you know, it's like any sort of writing thing. I, I'm, I'm sure it's akin to SNL. Like you have your ideas, you want to get your storylines done and you really want to get your things through. And I think it's challenging. And then, you know, relationships build. There's some people who say I work really well with X, X and X. So a lot of that person's stories will all be written by one person. Someone else's stories will be written by someone else. And then of course there's like a lot of collaboration, but like, I don't know. I know everyone always fantasizes about like what they could do. Yeah. Being that close to it to me, it's like I could just see myself being like, you know what? Just give me the lines. Uh, I'll let me just do the job. This this feels like a lot to navigate. The the love for the the guys that come back from it, you know, it's it's unique in that a lot of people when they're done with a place at work to like, I never want to be involved with this again. You know, we we can tend to even if we have a great situation, and for this case, wrestlers the fame, the money, obviously there's a physical toll. Um, that part of the history isn't great, but everyone seems to come back for a storyline cycle. I think that's pretty rare for anything in entertainment. Yeah, that's, well, that's the thing. That's, that's what makes it so great. I mean, honestly, like the reason I would tell anyone who ha who's a lapsed wrestling fan, you know, who's like, I watched WrestleMania 20 years ago, I'm, I'm, but like, I'm not watching it this weekend. Like it's the final four. The one thing I would say this, like, there's a there's a solid chance 
that at least one of the final four games will disappoint, right? Like that's just sort of the, the, the nature of the beast. Stone Cold Steve Austin is coming back on Saturday night at WrestleMania. And it's going to be awesome. 1,000% guaranteed you will be as happy as it, you could possibly be, even though we know that on some level what he's going to do is come back, glass breaks, music hits, Austin runs in, gives someone a stunner, drinks beer, gives the finger, pours the beer, right? That is going to happen and be awesome. And I think because of that, you have people who will always be wanting to get that again. Like, that's why The Rock is not done. The Rock is going to have a formal send-off at some point. But, like, working on a set for Dwayne Johnson for 18 months is not the same satisfaction of when you hear, if you smell and everyone jumps up. It's just not even the same thing. So because of that, your Cena's, your Austin's, your Rock's will always come back again. And even people who have, you know, fallouts with the company where you think, oh, there's no chance they're ever coming back. Always come back. They always come back. Yeah, wouldn't Lesnar be in that category? Yeah, Lesnar's left multiple times. You know, like he 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 said two years ago when he left, he thought he was done, and and then they offered the bag, and he came back again. And now, funny enough, Lesnar is having the best run of his career. I mean, he is the most entertaining he's ever been right now at over forty years old, and that's another awesome part too. Like, you know, these are these athletic, competitive dudes that if they were in a competitive sport, unless you're Tom Brady or LeBron, there's just no way to do it anymore. Whereas if you stay in good shape, I don't see why Brock and, and Randy Orton can't do this till they're 50 years old, 53 years old. Like, it's it's not competitive sport. That's the beauty of it. It's funny, what people don't like about it, like the reason I find sports fans get annoyed with it, like the sanctity of competition is the only thing that matters in entertainment. To me, it's the lack of competition. The fact that it's storytelling is what makes it awesome because I get to keep having these guys who I root for and girls for years and years and years. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I don't have time for it. Um, but I loved it as a kid. Well, listen, you listen, someone has to watch Utah Sacramento, right? You know, right. How, how are you going to know where the help <laughs> is coming from? Uh, <laughs> I remember I went to the Hartford Civic Center when I was in sixth grade to go see Junkyard Dog. Um, I think it was Big John Studd against Hogan. I forget. That missing, sounds right. The that missing right. link made oh, an sure. appearance, which was incredible. But we had second row, so you know it was it was the Whalers arena. So we're the front rows against the boards, and then it's folding chairs on the floor. So we're second row behind the boards, and it was a group in front of us: two boys, a mom, and a dad. And the older boy and the dad never sat down the whole time. And I was there with my mom, and then her friend, and then her son. So it kind of sucked; like we couldn't see a ton. And so <laughs> finally, somebody had said something. And the teenage boy turned around and told my mom he was going to fucking beat her up or something. So it was my mom. That was the last time she wasn't super into it after that. Well, but I think it's weird. improved. I think no, it's no, improved. It's, it, oh, hold, let me say this. This is important. The, that is such a quintessential like 80, you know, early 80s. It is. I'm not saying it happens, right. It has, it has become like it was so cool. A, a month ago, they played. The, the, they were at the garden and I took a bunch of people, including my co-host on Hot 97, Ebro, who brought his daughter for the first time. She's seven, right? And Laura Stiles, my other co-host, came. And 
My girlfriend came. All we we all we all went to this show. And one of the things that's amazing about a WWE live show is there is zero tension audience wise. Like it's such a difference from like I because I go to MMA, I, I go to boxing. I'm I'm a fan of all sort of quote unquote combat sports. And yeah, the WWE crowd is such a fun family ish crowd that is just for me like in my old age it's like it's stress free like two years ago i went to the ufc do you remember the msg show that yeah. trump showed up to in like towards the end like 2018 2017 there was a ufc show and everyone was like oh trump's coming because you know colby covington's fighting or, or whoever it was and I cannot tell you, Ryan, how stressed out I was that night. I was like, I don't even want to be here. Like, there's so many mixes of people who hate each other. Everyone's wearing affliction shirts. Something could happen at any moment. They still have the affliction shirts going? Oh, yeah. Come on. I mean, affliction doesn't die. No. You know, now they're vintage affliction. Yeah. But yeah, no, WWE, you, you will not get cursed out anymore uh, at a WWE show. I wouldn't think. I'm trying to find Hogan's game log here just because I don't want to give out any misinformation. About Wait, you're trying Archer. to find you're trying to find yeah. the, like the actual show that it could have been. I'm trying to because I remember like Junkyard Dog used to let all the kids come up into the ring and you didn't get to go, them. did you? So I got real close, and then they were like, they cut it off. Ah! <laughs> they were like, no, you're good, you're good. So then Junkyard Dog walked by, and I like patted him on the back. And to this day, it's 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 the I I don't want to use this word, but I have to. It's the moistest a human's body has ever been. <laughs> I, I just I was like, what is that? Like I I was so thrown off. It just your hand, hand just slipped on the mix of baby right. oil, sweat. Yo, a junkyard dog is so interesting too, because like, and this is one of the things that WWE has that's amazing. And they're bringing back these A and E biographies. Uh there's there's gonna be a whole bunch more coming the next year. They have so many people who like are outside of that top tier of like crossover names who are so recognizable to our generation. Like Junkyard Dog isn't like who you think of as like a huge star. But when you think back to your childhood, you didn't know one kid who didn't know who Junkyard Dog was. Like he was the man. And he never even won a title in WWE. I mean, he'd, he'd won titles before that and been a big deal in other parts of the country. But in WWE, he just sort of like, you know, had a feud with Harley Race about who would be the king of wrestling, and that was it. And he was, oh, so popular and has such an interesting story. There are random old pictures you see of JYD in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, and you just see him and how he's dressed, and you're just like, this is a man whose story needs to be told. I, I agree. I guess I think it might have been 1984, so I might be right on that one, so I was nine. All right, so... I wanted to ask you about this, though, because you do Hot 97 Morning Show. How long have you been doing this now with Ebro? Um, I've Well, I've been there. Right. I two, know that it's a little different. Yeah, so, so I've before. been there since 07. So I've been there for 15 years now. Um, I'm officially that dude who, like Ryan, I meet people who say, who are adults, like they're grown adults. Like an attractive woman will be like, I listened to you when I was a kid. And I'm like, I do the math and I'm like, well, how old are you? And they're like, I'm 15. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm 25. Yeah. Wait, I was, what? Sorry. Hold on. What? <laughs> they're like, I'm 25. And I go, oh, well, 15 years ago. Yeah. You were 10 years old. So yeah, I've been doing that one for 15. And I guess with Ebro, he's been in the mix for like seven of those seven or eight. How did you guys handle Kanye after watching the Kanye doc? Cause I know you guys have talked about Kanye nonstop. 
Oh my God. Um, we, we've, we've spent a ton of time on him. Like it's, it's, I loved the doc. So, so I went from just been crushing him. Like just, there's nothing that he does that doesn't annoy me to I'm watching the documentary and I'm just like, please feed me more, put it in my veins. Like I need to see this dude who was so fascinating and you're reminded of not that he was like a better person back then because you can see that he was kind of always this person, but it's just a reminder of how insane the talent and the drive is. And so we spent a lot of time on it. You know, we all have different relationships with Kanye. Ebro has a, you know, has been very close to them at times, but very critical. Me and Kanye have never gotten on. Like he's one of those people that there are only a few people that I've ever dealt with in the industry who like, it just feels like oil and water when we talk. It just like does not connect the way I think it will. And he's always, it's always been that way with him. But I got to tell you, I'm still obsessed with his music. Like I, he drives me nuts and I absolutely love his catalog. Yeah, I get the chills watching the first part of the documentary because watching him walk, walk around Rockefeller and he's, he's rhyming these songs that end up becoming massive hits. I know, I and know. they're just looking at him being like, can you fucking get out of here? And I think anybody that's ever creative and had dreams about what they've wanted to accomplish to see that, that gets inspiring. And that's why I've always really liked him. I knew about that story. I knew about the one kid from Capitol that was like, no, he's a singer. He's a rapper. He's good. I mean, I've seen that stuff for years. We, anybody that knows the story knows all that part of it. But considering all the things that he's done in the last few years, whatever this, 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 however the Wikipedia headline would say from years there to years wherever, right? Um, he's done a lot of shit that pisses everybody off. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't defend him on it. But I felt like after seeing this, and even though you kind of knew something was off, the way this closes, where he's having basically episodes that are being filmed, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the fair way to handle it is because, you know, just because something's going on doesn't mean you always get to be right. But I feel like some of the criticism towards him, it's a it feels different now because now at least you understand it better, even if you kind of knew already. I, I agree. I think, that's a, I think that's a really fair point and a good way of looking at it. And, you know, what like uh, I got a couple of messages from people being like, oh, your voice is in the documentary. And my thought was. Oh, and this speaks to what you were just saying about commenting on things. I, I like kind of cringed. I'm like, Oh God, what did they use me saying? It's because, the worst feeling because we comment on him so much. Like literally I've probably done, you know, I don't even know 50 hours all time on Kanye 75. Like we've spent days and days and days. So I'm like, Oh God, what did they include? As it turned out, it was fine. Like it was critical, but not unkind and it was whatever but yeah it's hard how do you analyze someone who's constantly making noise constantly doing things that are hard to defend but there's a part of you and I, and I think also seeing his mother was so endearing and reminded you just of his humanity like he's a kid with a mom who loved him so much you know so much that she actually made him believe he could do anything and he did he did. He did everything. So like there, I do think the, the, the genius doc restored and also not only did it restore a, se a certain sense of humanity, but I just, you know, Ryan, you, you're someone who has like dreams and you you're open about the things you want to do. And as time goes on, you want to do things. And I, I'm similar. 
How do you not marvel at what Cootie and Chike, the directors, did just to hold on to that and get it done? Like, it, to me, that's just incredible. The Hey Mama scene where he's rapping to her and singing to her in the kitchen and she's, yeah. she's going along with him. Like, to have that kind of relationship with your mother. Uh, I know. I, I know. I, I was like, I love my mom and we're close. I can't relate to my mom, like, rapping along my songs with me. I was like, she was a different, she was a different kind of mom. Yeah. No. And like then, she was special. And now I'm sitting here having to pick sides between him and Pete Davidson. So now I don't know what to do. No, I don't. I know I'm supposed to take Pete Davidson's side. So no, you um, ha- you're supposed to pick Pete Davidson. Listen, well, Pete Davidson. Uh, so Kanye and I have never gotten along. Pete yeah. Davidson and I were very close and he arbitrarily just stopped talking to me permanently. So when he blew point, up a little bit. No, he was already blown up. It was like this is actually a, an entertaining story. He, Great. I love this. He was he was my dude. Like Pete was my dude. Had done I'd I'd known him for a few years, and then he did came and did my show a couple times, and like Ebro left town, and I'd be like, "Yo, Pete, do you want to come sit in? Like, we'll just do the morning show." He he came in two mornings in a row. Like, we'll 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 do mornings. Awesome. Time goes on, we get tighter. This is maybe 2018 now. A few years ago, I had my little complex show I was doing, my like little uh, late night kind of show. And Pete just hits me out of the blue and is like, dude, want to do your show? And I'm like, dude, all I'm doing right now is trying to beg celebrity friends to do my show. And you're volunteering. You're the fucking man. Okay, you can absolutely do the show. Thank you. He's like, all right, uh, how about uh, we'll do this week? I'll come in tomorrow. And I was like, done. Clear the schedule. Pete Davidson's our guest tomorrow. Done. Pete comes in. He does the show. He's great. He does what he does, talks a lot of crazy shit, insults Joe Budden, insults this person, you know, gives you all the hits, talk shit about people, talk about how he loves Kid Cudi, tell SNL Donald Trump stories, like funny and awesome and great. Interview ends. I talk to our team about removing certain things from the interview. I'm like, let's take this out, take this out. Like, he's my boy. I do not want this in the interview. He's good. He gave us enough. Like, Take that shit out. Protecting him a little bit. Just protecting him. Right. Just protect. And this is, I know, I mean, I don't want to add to the narrative of the evil media, but yes, there are times when we will be like, if it's someone you like, you go, hey, let's, let's just be mindful of their brand here. They're doing us a solid. So we clean it up. Now, keep in mind, Pete has a major, at, at this exact moment, he's getting into a relationship with Ariana Grande. Okay. I know about this. He's, te- he, and Pete is such a sort of sweet, organically effusive guy that like he's telling me play by play of what's happening. Right. I don't bring it up on the show. I know we're not doing anything with that. Like it's cool, dude. I don't need any of that shit. Show comes out. They run promo for the show. The the promo they run is, I don't know, something sort of nondescript. It wasn't anything like salacious and they put up a couple of them and he hits me up kind of annoyed. Like, dude, how much promo are they trying to get out of my interview? And I'm like, I don't know as much as humanly possible. Like they, they you're a big star. I, I don't, I don't really know. I was like, but is there anything really problematic with what they said? I already cleaned up everything for you. And then he's like, ah, oh, you're right. You're right. My bad. I, let me, let me chill. Let me chill. Two days later, they put out like one more clip. So now the show's been out and they did like a post promotion. So three days later, you know, the team at complex releases another clip and he just hits me up and is like, 
dude, I fucking did this favor for you. And now blah, blah, blah. Fuck that. And literally never heard from him again. I was like, I over complex promoing the show. And then, and then keep in mind, three days later, he's on the front page of TMZ every single day. Like, like you were worried about being overexposed. You, you're now publicly with Ariana Grande. What the fuck? Um, but he is a wonderful dude. He's just a fucking, he's an emotional guy. You can see that. I feel like that story is very true to what you would kind of guess about his personality, no? Yeah, and look, if I run into him out here, I'll try to clean that up for you, all right? You, can you, Ryan, can you just like, just say, listen, listen, just like your conversation with Stephanie, I'm sure it'll go great. <laughs> Peter Rosenberg, he is uh, everywhere, but make sure you check out his GP podcast to bring her WrestleMania 38 this weekend, Dallas green room live shows the whole deal uh let's catch up longer next time all right man i would like that and we don't have to talk about wrestling the whole time i know you, you did you right. such a, with it i know i appreciate that though thank you bud thank you this episode is brought to you by better help a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time the question is time for what if time was unlimited how would you use it i don't have soccer practices whether my age or someone else's age so I like to try to figure out how to maximize my time because I have more time than others. Whether it's going for a run, getting a workout in. My favorite thing, I love to read. And I love to go to my spot and try to veg out and not think about anything else that's going on in my life or my day other than that escape to just dive into a book and be outside. And I'm lucky that I get to do that. The best way to squeeze in that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking. And they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Um, all right, let's check out a dating one here. How are you guys doing? I'm good. U.S. looking like they're going to be in the World Cup, so things are on the up. 
Yeah, we need to do a going abroad with you. And then maybe we'll have Kevin on to promote the F1 pod because we probably would have had him on at this point, but he's got his own F1 pod going. So I'm fired up for them. Um, all right, here we go. Dating girl. Not sure where it's going. 510, 175, 30. Could hoop a little in high school. Great. Nice. So a few years back, I was set up on a blind Oh, wait, a few weeks back, I was set up on a blind date by a family friend, got the girl's number from the friend, texted her, got to know her a little uh, as much as you can a stranger over text and set up a date a few days later. First date went well, better than I expected, spent a few hours together, had some chemistry, immediately set up another date for a few days later, which is where the first issue comes about. She lives well over an hour away from me. Don't have to mention this on air. Okay, so yeah, all right. He's telling me where they live. Got it. Uh, It seemed a little far, bordering on long distance, but the first date went so well, I figured it was worth exploring. That was less than 48 hours between the dates, so we didn't text much before the second date. I drove her to place the second date, which took almost two hours for this drive. Uh, Right. If they hit that drive at the wrong time, it's not LA, but it would be bad. It went well because I did that drive once. Not as good as the first, but I still liked her and liked where it was going. The obvious choice for the third date was for her to come to where I live, but we had some scheduling issues. So we said we could circle back on a time and place. I texted her the next day for some ideas for times and then proceeded to not hear from her for almost two days. I assumed as anyone would that I'd just been ghosted. Not a big deal. It happens. But then she finally responded and we set up a third date. I tried to get some conversation going, but again, radio silence for her until we actually had the third date. We had the third date and it went well again. This is great. It's like roller coaster of emotions here. We seem to get along and uh, she seems like a very dateable girl, etc. I'm just starting to find it hard to get excited about setting things up with her. We literally do not talk unless we were on a date or setting up a date. Again, I feel like we get along well, but she lives at least an hour and a half away and it feels like someone I'm dating uh, and And it feels less like someone I'm dating and just someone I see once in a while. My friends think I'm being too harsh and too picky that she's just not a big texter, but it's gotten to a point where the girl basically uh, disappears between times we hang out. I would think she's just not interested, but she keeps saying yes and seems excited when I do hear from her. I don't think this would be a big issue if she lived close by, but the distance thing kind of worsens it. We can't just pop in to see each other or grab happy hour, et cetera. I just want to know, am I wrong to think something is a little off? You think it will get better the more we get to know each other, and should I just keep at it? Any advice would be great. Well, my first question is if it doesn't work out. <laughs> she sounds perfect, man. Are you kidding? This is amazing. She doesn't text you all the time. She doesn't want to hang out constantly. That was my first thought. She, yeah, she, you got an hour and a half buffer, two on a, on a no. Friday? No, that's, that's cool, like, later on now at the early onset part like you want to be excited like you want her to like you know oh, reciprocate the excitement like when you're if you're dating for two years and she lets you you know play xbox and play fifa for like three hours a night and that's great but like early on that's a red flag to me ryan is this like dating in the early 90s like i mean unless you're talking on a landline what are you gonna do isn't this yeah sort, dude's had to wait sort, around isn't that sort of just like it you see her when you see her and we, we set stuff up like you're not like so what are you doing how's lunch like I, lo- not, I love what it. Comes yeah. up, right. I mean, we talk about the important shit. Yeah. Well, you probably would if you cared about the person. You you you'd go get the long cord. You'd go to another room. Really, put your feet on the wall. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> and you just talk for like an hour and a half. You're like, I don't know. We just talk, man. We just talk the whole time. Uh, when I was dating in the '90s, though, I was in college for a good chunk of it, and then I was still sort of in college. Uh, so you know, college dating is not. Yeah, it's, not it's a real. great line. Is it swingers where he's like, how did you meet her? And he's like, well, we're, we were in college. You're just drunk all the time. Like, what, what are you talking <laughs> <It's> about? Fair. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then people did get cordless phones. So I don't want to, I don't want to date myself too much here. All right. Well, look, 
Um, the first thing I would do was not call her out on the texting thing. I would just sort of ride this one. You seem to like her. You seem to get along. Um, she just might not be a big texter. And I could tell you there was one time in my life where I called somebody. I feel like an absolute loser. And Sarudi's just going to laugh and be like, wait, you asked somebody else about not texting you back? <laughs> but there was one girl who I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, she never. And she, I, she was younger than me. And I told my friends, I was like, she doesn't text back. She doesn't text back. She would go days and not text. And they were like, wait, how old is she? And she doesn't. They were like, oh, does she live with a boyfriend or something? I was like, no, that's (laughs) not the case. I'm like, we get along really well. We haven't seen each other. This was an incredibly, incredibly short window, by the way. And I said something. I was like, hey, am I like, do you just not like texting? Just let me know. And then I'll, I, I got it. And then it kind of, then it, it it led to something else that ended up being another conversation where I had heard through a third party that I was called clingy, which maybe ouch the worst possible scouting report ever imaginable on your boy that anybody would ever think that I'd be clingy. But I was so thrown off this one time. I, I could tell you, I could recite day to day, like, wait, what the fuck is going on here? So. I would caution anyone that's going through this to bring it up to the other person because nobody like whoever doesn't like texting is also not going to love being told like, hey, you don't really text me back. All right. Because I've also heard that plenty of times on the other side. So since you like her and I think she's kind of telling you what her expectations are of this, I would just lower your own expectations. Now, if the drive and the no texting thing bothers you, move on. If this were Los Angeles, like seriously, no one here will date anyone else like three towns or more away. Like it's you, you either date in Hollywood, you date in the South Bay, you date Santa Monica. Like it doesn't people, I look, I'm not saying no one does it, but it's, it was very clear early on where people were like, yeah, you either meet somebody in your little thing or everybody just breaks up because you're like, I'm not fucking driving all the way there. Like, wait, Calabasas? Like, I don't care who you are. That's not happening. Car dealership. So I think what you've been told here is despite liking this person to adjust your own expectations to it, I wouldn't. And then if it just wears on you, then you can call it off. But don't don't turn it into something that that it isn't. Like there's also, I think for guys too, there can be a real like wake up call to the ego a little bit where you know, the guy can always kind of like whoever has the upper hand. I don't know. I don't know what the ratio breaks down to male, female here, upper hand, but every relationship is different. But I remember there was another time too, where I was talking to somebody and then she was like, well, I'm a serial dater. And I was like, Mm. but she was telling me basically like if I'm out of pocket every now and then, like if I don't return it, it's probably because I'm out on a date because I just love going out on dates all the time. I just date, date, date and dinners and meet guys. I'm like, you just go to a dinner with somebody you don't even know and you'll go to another one. You're like, oh, I just love going on a dates and meeting people and networking or whatever. I'm like, well, that's not really networking. That's no. And it's like, well, does he know he's does he know it's networking? So I was kind of like, this is fucking lame. Is he using his company card on this when he picks up the check? What the hell's going on here? Is he writing do this that. Up? Yeah, right. Yeah. Met her on LinkedIn. It's also crazy that they're single. My goodness. Expensive. So unless she's dating all the time or whatever, uh, maybe you don't like her having the upper hand. Clearly she does. I would just, again, the lesson of this would be to adjust your expectations of what the relationship is without expressing any of these things to her. Ride it out for a little bit. See where it goes. Um, and you're probably going to ask yourself some real honest questions to try to be honest with yourself. Like, do you, does it feel like this is somebody that's a little above your your pay grade? 
because probably is if you're driving an hour and a half or two hours every single time. And by the way, if a friend set you up, can't you ask the friend, do a little recon here? What's the deal? Because if she, there's also the other part of it. Could she be seeing somebody else? And that's why the texting and that's why the long distance. So now that I've totally fucked with you. Look what head, we've done here. Great yeah, job. Enjoy. Great job yeah. with that. I think, <laughs> I think this is great. I think your advice is great, but I also think this is a great life advice. It's like, it's the stakes are low. It can, you know, most, some people can tell you're overreacting, but you're right. It feels weird. I get it. So this is a perfect down the middle life advice question and nobody's going to get hurt from anything we say, but I think absolutely lower your expectations. And you might even be surprised when you lower your expectations. Maybe you'll just be crazy and just call her one time. What if you just called her? I don't know. Once you lower FaceTime her once you're in lower, the morning, I wouldn't, I wouldn't FaceTime her. I don't think I would FaceTime her. I think the, uh, especially, I think definitely girls, sometimes the impromptu FaceTime, it's like, uh, no, never Maybe, but you know, maybe she's not a texter. Maybe she's a caller. I'm actually a caller. Um, like I like to, I'd rather be called than, than be in a, a battle that goes back and forth over text about something that maybe is totally a nothing. It's like, we'll get it all out now. We'll get it all out now. Don't you're a small talk guy. I, c- I can't. No, see, it's not I can't small talk. Being a small talk. No, guy. it's not small talk. But it's like, what the hell's going on? Like, what? How are you? Like, I'd call. I'd rather call my friends and text my friends. I think they are probably all in the other camp, and I've been bothering them for years about it. But I'm still going to call you. What can you do? Um, but maybe, maybe she's just not a texter. And like you said, there's probably not a good way to find that out. You can be like, hey, are you just like not a texter or something? Because then, my God, shot through the heart. Rusillo's Some clinging. people are just not like, texters, God. even though this guy's saying, hey, do you want to go somewhere? And he's throwing out a- options and plans and to not have any answer for that two days is annoying. But that tells you she's just not a texter. if She keeps wanting to see you or you're just her side piece. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's why yeah. I think lowering. I think lo- I think only good things could come from lowering your expectations. I think you're we right. We should all be doing it. We should all be and doing everything. it. Yeah. Saruti, yeah. so you seem to have a little bit more on there. No, I just I just don't. I'm annoyed for him because in the early stages of this kind of thing, even if you're a bad texter, I feel like bad texters still text because they're interested in the person. They just want to seem cool and they want to chat and they want to be flirtatious or whatever. So the fact that he's getting none of that, like I understand his frustration. And to me, I don't know. Do you joke with her and be like, hey, what's the deal here? Am I nope. actually the guy on the side? Nope. Like maybe you mess around nope. with that way. Nope. And like, no, I don't uh. think that, no, no, make it make sure it's 100 percent a joke because then. I don't know, like what's she going to maybe I don't know, maybe you are. Maybe you find out or maybe she's just like, yeah, sorry, I've been dropping the ball. I've been really busy at work. Maybe there as, is actually an excuse for it, but I don't like the way it started. You know, and is it going to get any better because you're the one that's driving an hour, two hours to wherever the hell this place is? I, I just don't know what enjoyment you're getting out of this um, because it's more than just meeting up with her once, you know, a week and driving two hours. I love that we've sort of untapped this part of Saruti that's just romantic in the <laughs> beginning and you're like this is before we start fighting that's, and found find annoying things yeah like, he's just like and hey, what's your deal anyway man yeah. <laughs> I, I just just believe in love dude I don't, I don't i just hey we're just <laughs> there you go we don't need to say anything else it's, it'd be another new t-shirt for the line i just believe in love dude okay we're gonna try one that's a little bit more uh this is going to be a little bit more emotional. I don't know. I, don't worry about the The headline is tough. Kyle sent it along, but I think we'll, I've read it. We'll get through it. We'll be fine. Adopt a dog or let him die. Okay. Uh, big fan of the show, 59170. Change names here. So uh, the dog my sister adopted is freaking adorable. He's great when he wants to play, actually wants to be petted and touched. He can be a really sweet dog. We'll play fetch with his toys. However, the issue is he can have moments of madness and grumpiness where he bites you if he doesn't want to be touched. 
This usually occurs at night when he's tired and wants to sleep. However, he can growl and show teeth at other times if he's napping midday, for example. He hasn't bitten any strangers or friends. As my family is good about warning others who want to pet him around the nighttime or the dog's nap times. Uh, he's bit my mom, dad, sister, and cousin. However, that was primarily when my sister had just adopted him and the dog was still getting to know us. I haven't been bitten yet because my parents told me, and whenever I visit my parents' place and the dog is around, I generally avoid petting him at all. If the dog is close to getting ready to bite you, he can show his teeth at you and start to growl. For background, the dog was abused by the previous owners and had his voice box removed, so he can't even bark. When he barks, it's just a whimper. whimper. The dog has had a really tough life. Okay. My sister has a tendency, uh, tendency to dump the dog over at my parents' when she travels most weekends. Uh, so she's gone most weekends. Cool. And she adopted a fucking dog. This is what I can't stand about some dog people. I can't fucking stand it when you do this. When people say, like, hey, you buy yourself, you get a dog. I'm like, actually, I'm selfless. I won't do that to the dog because I'm not going to be around a ton. Like, you people that think you're just going to, like, oh, I'm bummed out. Let me fucking get a dog. And then I'm never going to be around to take care of the thing. It's it's so shitty, but I guess then you would argue, hey, if the dog is going to be put down, it's better than that by not being around. So I don't want to get into that huge debate because it's not a debate whatsoever. All right. So keep it moving here. During the most recent weekend getaway, my cousin uh, was asked by my sister to take care of him who hadn't taken care of him before. Lo and behold, cousin was bitten when trying to take him for a nighttime pee. Fast forward to now. And my sister is pretty dead set on putting him down because of his numerous biting episodes and the fear it could be a stranger who would sue her for being bitten at some point. I had warned her before adopting. She shouldn't adopt a dog. She likes to travel and could barely take care of herself, let alone a new adopted dog. I tried arguing with her to find a muzzle, not ideal, uh, that would protect others in certain scenarios, like at night when the dog is grumpy and does not like to be touched. Uh, my sister claims that she can't find any muzzles that will fit him okay. as if he's a smaller, right, <laughs> okay. because he's a smaller dog. We already know what this is about. Right. My main dilemma is should I try and ask my parents to adopt him so the dog isn't put down or should I just man up a pair to be bit a few more times and adopt him myself? My condo where I live would charge 200 extra per month and it isn't the best for me. My sister tried looking into giving the dog up for adoption, but she claims she can't legally as apparently the dogs had too many biting incidents, which are severe, puncture holes, draws blood. My sister can't give him back to the adoption center of the dog uh, because he's had too many of these problems. I hate the idea of putting down an innocent animal because of my sister's negligence and unwillingness to care for him, but also don't want the burden back on my parents who've been empty nesters for a number of years now. My parents love to travel and leave the city, country as much as they can. Taking care of the dog isn't fair on their schedule. What should I do? Are there any suggestions or am I missing uh, that I'm missing or is it pretty much down to my parents or me to adopt the dog? They attached a photo. If you think I'm going to tell you to put a dog down on this show, then... <laughs> You like, Got another thing yeah. coming, pal. Right. <laughs> if you're just like, I don't know, easy solution. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, she sounds no. like she sucks, first and foremost. Yeah, we could talk that's, about that's the all, sister that's my more. Takeaway. I don't know what to do. I mean, it. I lived with somebody who had two dogs, and as soon as I would turn around, they bite me. It was just no, like I wasn't in the mix enough, and they're just gonna bite me. And it sucked. So you'd have to like backpedal facing them <laughs> um but there is time if you are around them more and more no matter the dog but you like you said you know i don't know man i do you think i'm gonna tell anybody to put a dog down on the fucking show i'm not doing that so what about like you dog, a dog, sanctuary? Right? dog sanctuary like a farm i don't know i don't know who runs a farm just so dogs could have the best time what of is their that lives. like but I, I think they're when a, the when the dad takes the 
the pet and family pet for a drive <laughs> doesn't come back. I, I don't know. Thing. I don't know. We had a dog stoner and uh, he was like biting. Wait, what? My mom, <laughs> my mom's dog named. Sorry, my dog's. My mom had a dog named Stoner and uh, apparently he was awesome, but he would like bite people and and crash into things. And like, I don't know, he was crazy. And I guess that's why they call him Stoner. Um, he was a rescue. And I I was told uh, he went to live with uh, whatever somebody. Uh, who's got like a lot of land on a farm. I don't know. There's like no people to be involved with, really. It was just like a farm. That that might be code for like, we flush your goldfish down the toilet, but I don't think yeah. so. Who knows? Wait, so you're still not sure at your age now whether or not your family dog was just donated to the farm? Quotes? The farm. Oh, God. Now now that we're... He can live out his days. <laughs> now that we're talking about it, it doesn't sound as good as it was in my head about... <laughs> Five minutes ago and for the last 20 years, but I guess whatever, man. LifeAdviceRR at gmail.com. <laughs> Shit. Wow. I don't mean to be laughing. <laughs> like, wait, did we just, did Kyle just discover Memory a childhood unlocked. lie? Jesus Christ. All right. I don't think we have much else to offer well, hold on, on that hold on, hold on. Don't you think there are dog sanctuaries? It's, sometimes you see like... And maybe that's just for Instagram assholes. And they're like, look at why I live with 20 dogs. Like, but I don't know. Isn't it, isn't it possible? It's like somebody who's got, got the land. Maybe it's family plot. I don't know. But like, isn't there a sanctuary? There's like rabbit sanctuaries around there. Trust me. I've looked them up. So like, I know that there are sanctuaries for all sorts of things. I don't think you're wrong. I don't know what the likelihood of finding one is that would work in this situation. I also think that this seems like it's just an excuse for her who she didn't have the capacity to take care of this dog. And that, even the excuses about like not returning to a shelter because it had too many biting incidents. Are there like formal complaints? She, what did your fam? Cause it, I think she, the dog only bit her family, right? So did they write formal complaints that that would be on this dog's permanent record? I think that's total bullshit to me. She just doesn't want the dog and she's trying to make up excuses for you guys to adopt this dog. And I'm not going to tell you too, if you don't have the means to do so, but I, I, at the end of the day, like she just, I don't know. This is, this is a bummer situation. She just seems like she sucks. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't know anything about this. Like dogs have records, criminal records. Just go so, to one that doesn't have the record. Say you don't know. Say you found the dog. Judy says two, two, two record, two, two on in, uh, record incidents, and you're done. So, yeah, yeah. Usually it's two, two bites, and they, and they, you know, the state puts you down. But I have a small dog. We have a dog. We have two dogs. One of them's a dachshund. The dachshund is a little more snippy. He came from Arkansas. He's a rescue. We have no idea what his background is. He had to, we had to get some teeth removed because. He has some dental issues. He has like a weird throat thing. We don't really know his background. And he's a little bit snippy. He'll, he'll, you know. Sounds like a blast. He's, he's protective. <laughs> but he's actually pretty great. If you just throw him under a blanket. here, Actually, here's the, throw the dog under a blanket. Just take away his like senses. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like blinders for like one of those birds of prey. That's what you got to do when people come over. And honestly, that actually does help. I'm not even joking. So I'm not saying it's like a cure-all for everything if you want to adopt this dog and you're worried about it. But that is something you could do. Mom's here. Get the blanket. <laughs> We have to put our dog yeah, in a cloth just, satchel. Yeah. You should come just over and check this, him out. Yeah, um, yeah. Feel the presence. Don't actually see anything. There you go. LifeAdviceRR at gmail.com. We'll talk to you Thursday.
This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 